When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, we're here for another episode of Film Study, looking back at the defensive effort from Week 16 against the Cleveland Browns, uh, the game that gave the Ravens the number one seed. Now they've got that in the hopper, ready to go. Joining us today, Coach Evans, uh, often guest, in fact, was on last week. Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, I enjoy doing this uh, on a weekly basis, and I appreciate your insight and the things I learn from you when I, when I listen in. Same same way, Coach. Definitely brings a definitely very different, very interesting perspective to the show as a coach, and we appreciate that. Uh, why don't we start by having them tell you, uh, having you tell the audience about your YouTube channel? Uh, my YouTube channel is uh, Sip the Tally Films, and I do a little segment called Ravens Roundup, and that's simply I talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly with the Ravens games. There's been a lot of good this year, and I try to find you know try to be give you a, bi- a, a unbiased opinion about what I see on Sundays or Mondays or whenever they play. And um, it's doing pretty good as of now. Again, it's Sip the Tally Films on YouTube, and you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Evans 9 
Okay, that's SIP2 tally, S-I-P, the number two, and then tally, T-A-L-L-Y, right? That's correct. All right, outstanding. Give that a chance. I think you, you won't regret it. I've looked at some of the videos there, and he definitely is is teaching as he goes, much as a coach would look through film and reverse it and go forward and whatnot to look at things. Uh <laughs> So, you know, one of the questions coming up this week, obviously, is going into this final game, the Ravens have that number one seed sealed up. Who do they sit going into that final game? And Harbaugh answered a little bit of that for us today and has named five of the players who will be inactive as Jackson, Mm -hmm. Ingram, Yonda, Williams, and Thomas. Mm -hmm. The the guys I definitely would would sit if I was in, in his shoes, definitely Yonda. Definitely um, Earl, because he basically came out and said he wanted to sit. And um, Ingram, but he's hurt. I don't know if I would sit Lamar for an entire game. And the reason being because that's going to be 21 days without football for your quarterback. Hopefully he'll spend a little bit of time in practice and in walkthroughs and whatnot to, to get used to it. But the speed of the game, the mm-hmm. elements of the game you think he may lose in as little as three weeks. What what scares me is that we start slow in our playoff game. That scares the bejeebus out of me. And get behind and, you know, and not, I have faith that he could do it, but I'd rather play from, from the front. We're more comfortable playing with the lead or even. Yeah. We really haven't had too much experience playing from behind during this whole win streak as they, they made some point about that on TV. But being behind six to nothing for as long as it was, almost a halftime, was, was pretty <laughs> strange this last week. Right. To to me, the other guy you sit, uh, I would have said Jimmy Smith before the game, being an older guy who's got been hurt a lot. But now, given that Marcus Peters took a pretty bad bruise during the game, I would say that Peters would be the guy I would have sat as well, yeah. given how important he is to the team. I don't think they can afford to sit two corners, but they certainly can afford to sit one because you got mm-hmm. two corners sitting on that inactive list who haven't right. got much playing time. The Ravens would probably really like to see both. Iman Marshall and mm-hmm. uh, Anthony Averick get more time. I, I definitely would like to see what Marshall can do in, in game situations, and um, I'm sure the coaches would too, because I know who they got go- or what they have going forward. I, I mean, that's shoot this question: the inactive guys, all those guys are eligible to play, right? That's and we correct. can like put Lamar and guys that we know are not going to play on the inactive list. That's right? correct. They okay. can't play during the game, but that's that's they go inactive. And you have you out of your fifty-three man roster, you can put any seven on any week, and they you know they do a fair amount of rotation. Most teams, you know, this time of year, about four or five of those spots are taken up by people who are hurt, mm-hmm. and they and they haven't IR'd them yet, and they're still hoping they come back. But uh, uh, you know, it's it's or in early December that's true. Sometimes they make decisions by now. But anyway, the, the Ravens have effectively an entire group of healthy players with the exception of Ingram, that they can make choices on. Mm-hmm. They just have to have to kind of decide. How, so who I'm do you want to see Ben Powers? <laughs> you want to see, that's, I was just going to ask you. So that's the guy you want to see, and me too. <laughs> yep. Uh, so in addition to the cornerbacks, and I, I, I personally, I still want to see what Anthony averett has got. It's only year two. It's not too late. Uh, you know, he's been good at times. Certainly was in his rookie year. Hasn't looked that great this year. Marshall, I want to see what he can do on special teams. He may be able to earn his way into a postseason 46th slot, being mm-hmm. able to play special teams. If he does that well enough and he can play corner, then he might be able to do more than, say, Jordan Richards can do, who's kind of the last guy on the 46 right now, as I see it. Right. Uh, he's He definitely has the, the makeup to, to do something. 6'2", six, 6'3"-ish, six, six, long, athletic kid. He definitely 
should be doing something other than being inactive, unless he's just not picking up the, the scheme. Yeah, that's uh, it'd be interesting to hear that. You you always kind of had a pretty good idea, rep by rep during camp, from Jerry Rosberg who he really liked on special teams and who he didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and he would one one of the reasons was he's this really professorial dude who would come to the microphone and be answering t- questions like an English professor or like a physics professor, maybe is more, more apt. But then, <laughs> then he'd go out on the field and he's screaming like a sailor at these players, you know, telling them, you know, okay, we're going to stop this effing play until Bowser gets back here because he doesn't know what the hell's going on kind of thing. You know? so <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny to hear always from, uh, I'm not going to do the full volume of his voice, but uh, that you could hear anyway, too. Uh, anyway, okay, so that's a, a, a little... Look at who might sit in this next game. So we got some. We got some people. I think we'll see Trace McSorley. I would like to see Trace McSorley in like a fourth quarter role. I would even like to see the, if we beat him, you know, pretty bad, and he come in regularly. Like you know, we would take Lamar out if we have a lead. I would like to see that out of McSorley too, because I think RG three needs to show more than he's shown just in case, because he hasn't looked the greatest when he's in there. So I think he needs to show, you know. A little more than what he's shown in his in the little garbage time he's he's been in. He had to show me a lot. I don't. He had to show me enough to be comfortable that if something happens to Lamar, that we could still win. I I think you're gonna have a lot of people in agreement with that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm kind of hoping that because they're short a running back for this game, that they find a package of plays for McSorley to run in some capacity. You know, perhaps as a slash player, perhaps even as a running back. Uh, but whatever it might be, so they get him on the field and get him get him used. Maybe as a wildcat back if they want to try that, or or some specific kind of option play where he could do either out of uh, out of the shotgun. So, what do you think of the chances we get to see Trace McSorley in this one? Uh, I would like to see Trace come in and and, and a mop up duty or some sort of a package because um I really don't I really I'm really not comfortable with RG three having to be the guy by himself right now. And maybe it's because when he has playing, has had playing time, there, it's been blowout, so he hadn't had to run the ball or do anything. He's basically getting there, get the clock down, get the game over with. So he hadn't had to do anything. Like, he hasn't shown me enough to be comfortable with him just playing a whole game. So I would like to see Trace get in and at least do some sort of um, quarterback run type stuff. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Uh, and certainly a package of plays for him wouldn't be impossible to put in the way that RG3 has occasionally shown up on the offensive side of the ball, even with Lamar in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'd be a possibility. And and I kind of agree with you that we haven't seen anything from RG3 in these mop-up drives. He has passed the ball a little bit. He did throw one interception. He threw a deep ball complete down the left sideline to Boykin. That was a nice throw. But but I, I agree, he hasn't really done a lot during these uh, games. It'd be nice to see him test it a little more. I'm sure he will be in this game because hey, the score starts 0-0 magically again on at the beginning <laughs> of this next game. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So I think we covered up who the roster. One other thing I wanted to talk to you about, Coach, was in terms of the other AFC teams who are now in the in the playoff picture, and we've had a couple more eliminated this last couple of weeks, uh, we're now down to seven possible teams the Ravens can face in the playoffs. Uh, and I want you to rank them from one to seven. And so the, the teams are Oakland, Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. Buffalo, Tennessee, Houston, New England, and Kansas City. All right. So number seven to me would be um, Oakland. I don't think they can stop. I think we could just run on them. And I don't think they have enough bodies or, or players to just put in a box and stop us from running. 
I think that would that could be a 250-300 yard rushing game if we play Oakland. Um, above Oakland, I would put um, Tennessee. Let's, I tell you what, let's do it the way we do the MVPs, and we'll we'll go up seven to one for both of us here. But I appreciate, I, I agree with you completely on the Oakland pick. Mm-hmm. I don't think we need to expound further on that, other than they have a very negative Devoe on the, on the year, like a negative 14 Devoe. It's incredible they're still in contention. Right. Go ahead. I saw they got a lot of things that have to happen for them to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, the next team I would have is Tennessee. I don't put. I don't think. I think they're in a similar boat to to um, Oakland, even though they play a little better defense. I just don't think offensively they could score enough points because they're not. They, I don't think they could stop us. I don't even really think they could slow us down. It, and then the game, their strength is running the ball, and our defensive strength is stopping the run. So I just. I don't. I don't see them being you know that big of an issue. Also. Okay, I, I kind of see them as a bigger problem. I had them a little higher on my list. My number six team is. Pittsburgh because they just don't have a quarterback and that's not going to get fixed. They're even talking about bringing Paxton Lynch off the practice squad to start him. Rudolph is lost for the year now, I'm told. And Hodges just had a game where he threw two picks and nine passes and they replaced him by coach's decision against the Jets. So not a not an impressive couple of quarterbacks here. So even if the defense were to play well, I think the Ravens would eventually, you know, take care of a Pittsburgh game. And by the way, we talk about the loss to the Browns really being the wake-up call, but beating Pittsburgh at home by only three points in week five, they barely skimmed their way through that game. And they did some good things. They, they got Josh Bynes in. But the Baltimore is a completely different team from that game as well. Mm-hmm. And I think I think they should be heavily favored against uh, against Pittsburgh. And, and on my list, I had Pittsburgh next because I really do respect their front seven. Mm-hmm. I, I really, their front seven really scares me. And uh, Fitzpatrick back there, um, he's been a, a good player since he's been with them. He he do a lot of good things. He's he's tough. He's in out against the run. He's against the pass. And and why I just, I just that's why I had them hired strictly because of defense. I really forgot the fact that they lost that one of their quarterbacks. So um, but that's why they were higher than than Tennessee. That's it. fair enough. Fair enough. I've I've got Buffalo as my number five. So you just announced your number five was Pittsburgh. Buffalo is my number five. As much as they had advantages that gave them uh, chances against Buffalo in the wind, I think that, uh, you know, the Ravens took advantage of it, too, is what I'm saying. I think if they play in Baltimore and it's a limited win game, I think that all the advantages will be Baltimore's way and they'll be able to pretty well do a lot of the things offensively they couldn't do in Buffalo, and they'll also still be able to get more pressure on Josh Allen even when they're dropping uh, people to cover additionally. Uh, You know, again, I I think they have a lot of advantages. I think they finally figured out in the second half of the Buffalo game that the 3-3-5 nickel was the way to stop the run effectively, and I think they go into that game knowing that and try and use that from the start. We're going to talk a little bit about that a little bit later on this episode. So Buffalo is my number five. Okay, my number four is Buffalo, <laughs> and uh, I respect what they do up front. The Buffalo has a pretty good defense. They've had they've had an amazing year based off you know their history, or the past uh, five to ten years. And I I really respect uh, their QB for what he does. He he's not he's not a the greatest thrower, but he throws a, a pretty good deep ball. Uh, he runs the ball when he has to. The biggest thing is they don't have a receiver that can just dominate the the corners that we have, or even the safeties that we have. And so we can kind of load up on the in the box and play man on them guys. And I, John Brown got loose on us once, I think, but he they can't consistently do that. 
All right. So they're definitely a team that likes to put three receivers on the field, and, and they like to throw deep a lot, not necessarily successful at it. But uh, but uh, we'll see about that one. That's uh, You have Buffalo at number four then, four. and I have Tennessee at number four. My reason for Tennessee is they've got a red-hot quarterback with Tannehill, who's, who's one of the only, and I think this is still true, might be one of only two quarterbacks in the NFL with Breeze and him who have a higher passer rating than Jackson on the year. Now, a lot of that's timing, but and Tannehill has not been that great in the past. The Ravens have handled him, but they've also discovered some significant receiving talent with the A.J. Brown as the guy or A.J. Do I have A.J. Brown. It's A.J. Brown. Okay, A.J. Brown. From I have an experience with A.J. Brown. All right. I coached against him in high school. Okay. And he's some of the th- same things he's doing in the NFL he did to our team in, in high school. He's I told somebody this a while ago. He's the only res- high school receiver that I saw could change a game by himself. Because if you played off of him, he could take a hitch or a slant to the house. If you um, you know, tried to bump him, he would just muscle your guy out and, and run past him. And then if you decided to double him, he would he could work both of those guys and still get open and, and just outrun people. Because once he once he got the ball. He was basically a 6'2 running back once he got the ball in his hand. Mm-hmm. So with, however you can get him the ball, he was able to do things afterwards. And he's probably one of the greatest high school receivers I've seen with my own two eyes. Not saying, you know, ever, but that I've seen with my own two eyes. That's A.J. Brown. Wow, that's something. So uh, he's – he's was he an elite athlete, like a track star playing wide receiver with a 6'2 frame in high school? Or was he not quite filled out physically the way he is? A.J. Brown was an elite athlete. He's one of the few people to play in the Unnormal football game and the Unnormal baseball game. Huh. AJ, he was drafted out of high school, like the second, third round. For baseball. And he, he, yes, he was um, he was not as big as he is now, but he was by no shape a small guy. He was probably six one, maybe six foot, maybe right at two hundred pounds. And for a high schooler, that's that's a big receiver. Yeah, yeah, that is. All right. Well, that's interesting. That's uh, that's great also that you got to. DK Metcalf too, in that same year. Holy mackerel! That's Man. a receiver. Was he <laughs> was he the kind of did he? How much of that did he put on in college in terms of really growing into his body? Obviously, the way he has. Well, obviously in high school he was about six three ish, and you know he was pretty cut up kid, and he was way stronger than anybody we could throw on the field. Hmm. But that that picture you saw right at the draft that was college. That was college. Huh. All right, that's that's fascinating stuff there. Okay, so we, we're in we're in the middle of talking about Tennessee here. Tennessee does some things defensively that are okay. Uh, I do agree that Derrick Henry is the kind of back that the Ravens' enormous interior muscle can probably make a big impact on because if you can hit him in the backfield, you can take him down. You got to hit him behind the line of scrimmage. Yes. Uh, and and he he has some speed. It's not like he can't get to the outside at all. But hopefully, you know, the Ravens have, uh, will do a better job with the 3-3-5 nickel in being able to widen that uh, front that they have and hopefully hold those edges a little better. Make him run uh, east and west. Make him run east and west. Because if he gets downhill, he, he, he has enough speed to, to run away from you. But if you like you said, if you get him start, get him tackled or off his rocker before he gets started, he's a lot easier to, to, to get down. All right. Who you got at number three? Houston. I have Houston at number three because I think Desh- I, I'm a big fan of Deshaun Watson and um, Hopkins, and they can do some things that literally you can have that guy covered, and he still can make plays. Right. He still can make plays. And they do just enough in the run game to, to keep you honest. But Hopkins, throw, Hopkins can catch pretty much anything. 
and I did a video about him last uh, year, and I, I called it Sweet Feet when I was doing the film. He was never really open. All, a lot of his catches were contested catches. It was rare that he was just wide open. And I, and he can make any catch, period. Low, high, back shoulder, fade, whatever. And then he can finish. All right. I, I, I'm in the same place with Houston. Uh, certainly, I respect Deshaun Watson as a quarterback. Even the Ravens gave him a lot of trouble in Baltimore. Held him to three yards, actually slightly under it per throw. But now they have an extra weapon back because they didn't have Will Fuller active, I don't believe, for that game. They had Stills and Hopkins active. And mm-hmm. if they have all three, that's a pretty potent group. Uh, you know, we got a, a, a good set of corners. I, I question whether or not they're really able to stay with elite speed. We have very crafty corners, good boundary corners, good bait the quarterback corners, obviously, with Peters. But mm-hmm. I question whether or not they can really stay with elite speed. And, and honestly, the fourth guy is the one that I would would give us a lot of trouble too. Uh, Kiki Cutie, is how, I think that's how you say his name, because he's one of those twitchy guys too. And if you look in that car holding that guy, it's, it's it might be a long night. Okay. Wow. Okay. That would be that would be bad. All right. He said he said I'm looking at this right now. It looks like he's been thrown at only 32 times all year with 21 catches. So. Uh, I don't know how much he would he would be a factor in their offense. They might is he a slot guy? They always he's play a slot him up guy, there. Yeah, he he hasn't played a lot. He's a, he's one of the slot guys. He had okay. a big year last year, but I think um, one of those three guys that you just mentioned came in and took a lot of his reps. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Who do you got at number two? I'm guessing we got the same two and one now. New England. Okay. Me too. I have New England too. I'm just they're the Patriots, and you just can't really count them out. Is they, they, they don't look the greatest. They don't, but they just do stuff to win games. Yeah. My, my question was there was was whether to put the Patriots at number two or number three relative to Houston. And, mm-hmm. and that, that was a real question. They've been exposed in the second half of the season. Obviously, they've lost some games. Uh, so they, they were 8-0, they've, and they've, they've lost three games since, I guess, they're, what, four and three? Yes. Four and three since. So, uh, you know, they're still hanging in there. They're going to get the two seed. In a way, I'm happy about that because I think that'll that'll give the number one pick I have a tougher game mm-hmm. in New England again. But uh, number number one, I guess, for both of us is? Kansas City. There you go. <laughs> I just, Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Kelsey, Harmon, um, Sammy Watkins. It's tough. Yeah, their offensive yeah. weapons scare me, but what's even even frightening more to me right now is their defense. Uh, the last, I think it's five weeks now, they've given up 17-9, 16-3, and three points. So that's only 48 points in five games, so less than five each. Not against great competition. The mm-hmm. Chargers, Raiders, Patriots were one of those games, Broncos and Bears. Those are some pretty low-scoring teams, mm-hmm. but still, uh, you know, that's a pretty effective five-game stretch there. Keep, keep in mind this here. Um, when teams play KC, their offenses strain a lot more than normal. So mm-hmm. that you probably can't – KC's defense is probably getting a a nervous offense because they know they have to score points, which, uh, you know, in turn makes them make mistakes. So even though they have those low numbers, people are pressing versus KC early because they know if they don't score, they're going to lose. So they're not – they're not being conservative, not trying to play field position, probably going for more on fourth down than they should because they know if they don't score 25, 30, 35 points, they're not going to win. 
And so that's where I think KC is getting those low scores at because they are forcing people to play, not play their game, which is what we did the first time. Yeah, I was just going to say that's extremely consistent with the way what happened to the Ravens against KC. With They went for the fourth down, so they made three out of four of them. That's fine. They do that every time. I'm happy. But they also went for three two-point two conversions and missed all those. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, anyway, it was a long day in KC. They lost by five that day. What else we got going on here we want to talk about? So we both think KC is the team we don't want to face. So right. if we had to pick the way the playoffs were going this year— We'd probably want. Uh, I, I don't. Th- I don't know that we really care who gets in as the six seed. Do you care? Would you like to I, see Oakland? I don't. Oh, yeah. I mean, I. I think Oakland's going. If they get in, they're going to lose to whoever they play, which will probably be Houston. It'll be. It'll. It'll be Kansas City. Kansas City. It'll be Kansas yeah. City. Yes, Kansas City. And that's not the worst thing in the world because if they lose to Kansas City, then then Kansas City will be headed to New England. Mm-hmm. So part of me says, man, eh, just let that happen in the division round. I think, I think that's going to happen anyway. Okay. All right, and then the the four seed is a more interesting proposition there because they'll they'll get Houston, and it's very possible the Ravens could end up playing this team in the divisional round if they upset them. So if Buffalo were say to play against Houston as the four versus five game, mm-hmm. there's a good chance that the Ravens end up getting Buffalo out of that. So I'm I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with all of those guys, but that number one. All right. I think actually that is the way it's set right now, isn't it? At this exact moment, I believe Houston is locked in at the four, mm-hmm. and then Buffalo is locked in at the five. I might be wrong. Kansas City may be able to drop to the four. I, so, think, I think the way it is not the way I looked at it, the only way we can play KC is in the championship game, AFC okay. championship game. I'm happy with that. I hope you're right. <laughs> how, how about Terrell Suggs now as a chief? Are you are first of all are you bummed out about losing him at all? We talked a little bit last yeah, week. Yeah, I, I I thought that was a, a chicken scratch move by by KC, but mm-hmm. they I didn't think he would play and he played. And I really watching the, their game yesterday. I forgot he was on the team and I heard it heard them say Suggs, and I looked and I was like oh, I forgot he played. You know he was playing. And he looked pretty darn good coming off that edge. But every okay. time I saw him, I just I, it was tough to to wrap my my thought process around hearing Suggs and not seeing the Ravens on TV. There you go. Well, I'll have to take a good look at him during the playoff game and look back at the film also. But uh, fortunately, they'll be we hope anyway playing in that first round. At least I'm hoping for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if if all goes well, Kansas City goes to New England. Those two teams beat each other up. That'd be the first thing you'd hope for. The second thing is that that. Uh, probably that New England somehow gets it done at home and cobbles together a win. At least that's what I'd hope for. And they, they come to Baltimore for an AFC championship. Ravens take care of, say, Buffalo at home and uh, and have a shot. Right. Right. Set up pretty good, though. Set up pretty good. You can't ask for better, and yet you're always one loss away from the finality of that end of the season. And having been through that, on the winning end in 2000 and 2008 at Tennessee, and it's actually in January of the following years each time, seeing the number one seed go down each time to the Ravens really made you understand how upset those fans were. But not until the 2006 season when the Ravens lost uh, you know, the first playoff game to the Colts after the 13-3 and season did I really get a sense of just how debilitating that is and mm-hmm. how awful it would be if the Ravens, you know, lost that first game at home. Right. Uh, that's, and that's why I'm, I wouldn't sit those guys completely for three weeks, but they make big bucks. They make those calls. 
All righty. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the game from last Sunday because a number of interesting components of this defensively. But I thought, you know, one of the things you look at the score sheet and the Ravens held the Browns to three of 12 on third down. But at, o of, at zero of zero on fourth down, if you look at just that. But there's a little bit of a caveat that that does not include penalties. Mm-hmm. And there were four conversions by penalty, which really meant when you look at it, they converted seven of the 13 times they got to third down. They actually got a first down after that. Right. I was watching the game and I just, you know, most of their first downs came off of penalties. I think one drive, they even got 75% of their yardage from penalties yep. uh, that they scored on. And three three penalty conversions on that drive you're talking about. That was their first touchdown. Just an embarrassing drive, frankly. They, they, they hardly could move the ball, and they got kept getting bailed out with a third or fourth down penalty. Yes. And the second time around, they drove up the field with some big plays, but then they got inside the 10. The Ravens stiffened, stopped them a couple times from the one-yard line. They got a couple yeah. negative run plays after an incomplete pass, and they, they were all set up with the fourth and six. And then Jimmy Smith commits that stupid penalty, and all of a sudden they've got first and goal at the three, and they score in the next play. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I question that, that penalty, but they called it. I don't think that ball was catchable. Okay, so that was the that was on the first drive. I agree with you. I think both penalties were kind of ticky tack on Smith, but that one was it wasn't catchable. It wasn't really. I didn't think it was that much of a pass interference. Like it's it's a pretty marginal pass interference call anyway. I thought mm-hmm. the second one, it looked to me like he really tried to punch, and you see a lot of contact made to the face and helmet that does not get called for like an illegal hands. Penalty. Now that mm-hmm. one actually wasn't called for illegal hands. I think it was a defensive hold. No, it was, it was a face, face mask. mask. Face mask. Face yeah. mask. Oh, so it, this. Yeah. What I what I think happened was Odell gave him a good move mm-hmm. off the line of scrimmage, and he really had Jimmy off balance, and Jimmy just happened to hit his face mask as he was going by. That I remember that now. He he Odell gave him a good move, and Odell's one of the best from the line of scrimmage, and kind of had Jimmy off off balance and trying to get his balance. He just touched the face mask. Mm-hmm. Didn't turn it, didn't, you know, impede him in any way. And they I remember that. I did have it confused. You're right, it, though. It, it, You know what it looked like to me? It looked like Jimmy was trying to, at in one motion, punch to the upper shoulder or chest of Beckham and also look into the backfield to see if he could detect if the quarterback was coming that way with the football. Mm-hmm. And, and as he did so, Beckham must have slipped him in the way you said and, uh, you know, Caught the caught the the fist or the open hand in the in the face mask, and that was what drew that penalty. But it looked like if it was any penalty there, it looked like it would have been an IH, and not I mean, not that it would have mattered from that yard line, but it should have been an illegal hands to the face and mm-hmm. not a not a face mask. Right, I agree. All right, uh, yeah, just a frustrating day, and anyway, of of not being able to get off the field for the Ravens on third down. They're usually much better at it than that, and and. For all of the good things that they really did on third down, to have the have the penalties burn them, mostly on fourth down, but also one on third, uh, just a real bummer. All right, let's move on. We'll talk uh, pass rush. How about we talk about the pass rush next? Okay. All right. So I'll give you some overarching numbers, and then we can talk down in some whatever detail you'd like. Ample time and space on 11 of 33 dropbacks uh, here. That's good. 
to only give up 33%. It's a little below average, but the, the in this game, Martindale gambled so extensively, I felt, to keep Mayfield moving, both with numbers and with deception. It probably should have been better than that. He probably should have had a lower percentage of ample time and space opportunities, which would have been, uh, I think, very effective because in both cases, uh, Mayfield did not re- react well to being pressured in this game. And, of course, we've seen that pretty much his entire career so far. Yeah, he did he did a okay job of eluding the pressure and like getting out of the pocket, but not to the point where he was making plays down the field. He ran a lot, you know, he scrambled a lot because of pressure we were getting on him, but he didn't, he wasn't able to like scramble and hit guys down the field. So I think we did a, a good job of, you know, forcing his hand and even when, you know, keeping him in the pocket some and getting to him and forcing bad throws. Yeah. So the two big throws of the game came on that fourth quarter drive. They had the first one where they ended up, you know, getting a fourth and sixth play and getting bailed out. But early in that drive, they had four consecutive plays, a pass left for 15, where there was a quarterback hit. But I think that was a little screen left that they they got a significant run after the catch, if I recall. It might have been 10 plus five, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then they had a 33-yard pass, which was more of a pass up the middle of the field. Yeah, that was bracketed. So yeah. they had, they had, and I'm forgetting if that was Landry or Beckham. I think that was, I think it you're right, Landry. it was Landry. And so that was... They had, yeah, it was, I know what it was. It was 22 yards towards the right. Landry was there, and and Thomas came up for the hit and missed the mm-hmm. tackle. Yeah. The back end. Carr was underneath, and then that went for another 11 yak. And then they had the, the, the pass in the middle of the field two plays later was Seals-Jones. Seals That's who that was. And that was, again, Thomas was between Thomas and Carr, but Thomas was the one who had the shot to be the underneath guy on that. I was a little disappointed by that. I think his two best throws were in that drive. That that throw to Landry that we speak of, mm-hmm. and then the actual fade to Beckham for the touchdown. Yeah, that those, was dropped right in the those, bucket. Those two throws were his best throws of the game to me. Yes, sir. All right. A uh, few more statistical notes. Uh, increasing numbers pay dividends in this game. Every time when they rushed five-plus, which is on two-thirds of the total pass rushes, 22 of the 33 in this game, uh, there was only 4.5 yards per pass by um, Mayfield when he faced five plus. And I think it was something like nine yards per throw when they threw with uh, last, but I'm not looking at it right now in front of me, so I'll, I'll have to get that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martindale made adjustments at halftime to increase the numbers in terms of the uh, uh, having more five pluses in that second half. Used a lot of deception in this game. Now, remember, it's only 33 passes, which is kind of a low number, yet he had 24 individual blitzers, which is virtually the highest number of the year. I think the highest was 26, and there might have been 40-some 40, 40 passes in that game. But uh, 24 blitzers, three stunts, four two-man drops. In terms of the the rate of deception per drop back, it was the highest of the season. So Martindale really scheming and numbering for pressure in this game. And they got good pressure. They just didn't get great pressure. Right. They they, they got, they did enough to get him off his spot, but not enough to get sacks or, or, or sack from, strip sacks and things like that. Yeah, you're right. They did not, they definitely did not finish. And even quarterback hits, they must have had close to their lowest quarterback hit total of the year. They probably had about three in this game. And they had, I guess they had, what, two sacks? Yeah, I'll tell you what. They had two sacks, and I, I would argue that Thomas lost a sack and a half in this game, even though he has a sack and a half career coming into mm-hmm. this. But <laughs> but his, he had a sack by the right sideline that was called back by penalty. 
So that was, a, I think, a defensive hold, or it might have been the face mask on Jimmy Smith on that play. Uh, but anyways, by the right sideline that he had a, he had a, uh, a sack zero on that play. And the other one, the, the, the run to Kareem Hunt, where he clearly was trying to pass the ball, that's mm-hmm. a sack. That should have yeah. been a sack. Should and, be. And uh, they, they took that away for whatever reason, just called it a run. That's the kind of play the, the Ravens will appeal that this week and try and get that changed to a sack. I think it might, be, might still be changed. So uh, if you're a fan of Ferguson, you want him to get a full sack, he probably ends up getting the whole thing or, or shares it with Thomas. Mm-hmm. Try to put him with two sacks for his career. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Um, anything else about the pass rush you want to talk about? Anything other specifics you saw? Any- no, just, just the fact that um, – uh, Ferguson's getting a little better. Ferguson, he's he's. I don't. I won't say he have a he has a second move yet, but a little thing different with that bull rush. He's not just going down the middle of the guy. He's trying to get on the edge and find ways to get around guys instead of just straight trying to go through the middle of. Them. Mm-hmm. That's good to hear. Um, you know, he's, I didn't score him for a pressure event in this game. But he certainly would have had a sack if they'd uh, if if he hadn't been official scored out of it. So uh, uh, that would have been a, a nice play. It was a great play. I mean, you know, at the very least, it was a great play. I thought Thomas kind of made it mm-hmm. coming up and and securing that edge because that's what really stopped Hunt in his tracks. And then, and, and then um, Smith and um, I can't think who the other DB was didn't fall for the fake at all. Mm-hmm. Didn't fall. They had the tight end bracketed. I can't remember who the other DB was, but I, it was Clark. It was okay. Jim Smith and Clark. They had the the tight end that tried to down block and then release and they stay right on top of them. All right. Very good. I have to go look at that again myself. That's a good point. All right. Let's move on. Let's talk some packages now. We like to do that. That's uh, something I feature in the article. Uh, the Ravens played a little bit heavier set of packages against the Browns. Obviously, they did not want to get run on as they did the first time. So even though you know conditions were good for passing in this game, as good as you'll get this time of year, uh, you know they got, went pretty heavy against the against the Browns and and you know were in fear of Chubb very clearly uh, and did a good job. You know they, they it was 20 rushes for what 49 yards in total, including a kneel, so it's really like 19 for 50. So 2.6 yards per rush. Uh, they got the job done. The the jumbo package they played three times in goal line. No need to explain that, but it was effective. They had a minus one and a minus four penetrating. Uh, that was largely defensive tackle based. They made they made a huge hole on the first play to open up the Red Sea for Josh Bynes to get in the backfield for a one yard takedown on the first play. And then it was a basically a, a jailbreak the second time around that included both Pierce and Williams on the uh, on the minus four play that put him back on fourth and six. So and, yeah, they're effective in the jumbo. Uh, the base I'll add because it's similar: seven plays, zero net yards. So they played base in a lot of obvious run situations. I looked at what the personnel group for Cleveland was that they were reacting to. And three times it was an extra offensive lineman they put in. But they also did it against other times that I wouldn't have expected. Against 12 personnel a couple of times. And I believe twice against the Pony backfield. Although once the, one of those was also with the sixth offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Pony backfield, you don't see very often. But Cleveland, one of the teams that likes to line up Chubb and Hunt both in the backfield and and try different things off that. Yeah, they, they did stuff with um, Hunt kind of using them as a sniffer and inserting them on runs that I don't know what they were trying to accomplish with that. But he would go through the line and basically try to get a linebacker and whatnot. So I don't know if he was trying to you know produce cutback lanes or what, but I did see him inserting as if he was a fullback. 
Can you explain what you mean by a sniffer? Um, so the, the actual term is butt sniffer. And basically okay. that's like a fullback type guy that kind of gets right behind the tackle and guard, kind of sits between the tackle and guard and, gotcha. and is used as an extra blocker. Or, or He's basically a fullback, but tight to the line of scrimmage. And he's basically close to the butt of a guard or a tackle. I will be using that term in my writing in, in the future. <laughs> I, I, the, the, the play I remember a butt sniffer being used, unfortunately, was two years ago, just about on this date, on the December 31st game, where they lost. They had they had Giovanni Bernard was right up in that position on the final 4th and 12th play that lost us the game. For Cincinnati? Yeah, for Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Go back, take a look at that play, and you, you tell me if I've got it right. But that's my, my visual recollection of that play. Okay. It's two, what, what was the year on it? Yeah, 2017, 12-31 game against Cincinnati, and you can look it up while, while I'm while I'm talking about the next package. All right. All right, so we'll go on, and the Ravens have played a fair amount of jumbo nickel in this last week. So let me explain again. That's 3-3-5 nickel, three down linemen, but you get your third down lineman while maintaining your nickel package by removing an inside linebacker. So they basically have to take Owasso off the field, put in an extra defensive lineman to try and spread out that line of scrimmage, Give your big men on the inside, and the Ravens have a lot of quality big men now with with Pierce and Williams and now Pecco, mm-hmm. uh, to eat space and uh, and spread out, uh, you know, those linemen in a way they're where they're less effective, and and hopefully where Bynes and Clark can then read behind that, fill the gap, make tackles uh, if if the line cannot. So uh, it's been an effective package for the Ravens. Uh, in this game, again, uh, with Jumbo Nickel, let me give you a number here on this. They ran the Jumbo Nickel 14 times, and the, and the Browns only gained 4.1 yards per play on that. So that's fine. Uh, some of that was passing, some running. That tells you that you're not really getting beat by the pass on the Jumbo Nickel. Now, you know, one of the things that I kind of want to talk about here is that all the Ravens' great defenses of the past we're consistently able to stop opponents from running an 11 personnel with a six-man front. They never really had any problem at all. In fact, they could often stop them in 12 personnel with the six-man front, but that's another story. In 11 personnel, they always had the combination of, of great players of the three types you need. They had great edge setters, Burnett, Suggs, Jarrett Johnson, all good examples of that. They had the great space eaters with Adams, Siragusa, Nada, Kelly Gregg even was a good positional space eater, even though and, and a very productive tackler, uh, you know, along those lines. And they had great inside linebackers always. Lewis obviously was a leader, but Sharper and Scott, who could read the play well, pursue, shed, maintain gap control, do all the things you need to do as an inside linebacker to get to the spot you're supposed to get to to make the play. And they just have not had that in the last couple of seasons. And now the Ravens you know, Ravens fans have been spoiled as hell for years. The only thing they have remaining are the great interior guys. They have Pearson Williams, who are absolutely elite. But they lack the outside-inside linebackers now to to play run defense without making compromises. Right. We that, Those two guys, when, when one of them is not present, we're a totally different team as far as run stopping. We can stop the run, but we can dominate with both of those guys in. But, but, and a good job of picking up Peco and, and Ward because they give us some athleticism to go with those two big, you know, uh, round bodies. So mm-hmm. they complement each other fairly well. And so when one goes out, we don't drop off that much because you, you don't bring in an as strong guy, but you have a, a good athletic guy. And I, on the film I was doing before you made the call, uh, P- 
Pickle runs down a run like he's like the right the three tech and makes the tackle on the edge on the other side. He did a great job of coming straight down the line mm-hmm. and making a tackle. I know just the play you're talking about. That was a good one. I, the other play I really like from Pecco in this game, he didn't get any tackle credit, but Judon did a pretty good job of holding the edge, and Pecco squeezed his guy right right against Judon so that Chubb got directly wedged between the two offensive players, and Judon was able to squeak <laughs> off and make the tackle for a gain of one. He didn't get any tackle credit on that, but he really made that play by by moving his guy probably four yards to get that done. Yep. Oh. I want to go back to, uh, you know, the point I was making, though. The, the, the outside and inside linebackers the Ravens have now really have forced Martindale to make these schematic compromises. So, you know, no other team is going to feel sorry for us or for, for the fans, but they have to play these jumbo nickel package because they don't have the talent at inside or outside linebacker to really dominate there. It's not because they want to. They'd much prefer to play the standard nickel because then you have an extra standing linebacker. You have more uh, both pass rush and coverage flexibility. Obviously, you put in another defensive tackle. There's only really one space you expect them to occupy. You don't expect them to drop them to coverage. Uh, but you have much more in terms of optionality, I think, with the standard nickel. It's not because they want to that they're doing this. It's because they have to that the that they don't really – they don't really have a choice other than to compromise in this way. Yeah, you have to call what your, your strengths are. Because like you said, we don't have those great interior guys. Uh, we're good at the cornerback position. We're okay at safety position. Good at the D tackle and average at best other than, you know, besides you done on the edge. So you got to call what your strengths are, mix things up, and bring those pl- pressures because your strength is those cornerbacks. They allow you to play a little man-on-man, so send, you can send some extra guys. Oh, there you go. All right. How about we move on? We talk some some dime defense because they, they have this interesting two dime packages. I was really encouraged to hear Harbaugh talking dime at the podium today. So he's like, well, we have we have you know multiple dime packages we use. I'm I'm paraphrasing slightly. But he talks about we have one with lighter personnel, one with heavier personnel. And I go, ah, I know what he's talking about. And and so they have they have the standard. Uh, dime package where they use one out inside linebacker, two outside linebackers, two defensive linemen, and of course six DBs. Mm-hmm. And on that one, they have they have that one inside linebacker which has been four every time in this game. He was the lone inside linebacker in all this play, so he's he's kind of the the, the sheriff of that defense if you want to call him that. And uh, they had eight snaps of that standard dime with 89, 89 yards allowed, so eleven point one. So even though I think Fort had a really good game personally. His defense did not <laughs> right. on those plays. He he and Fort, he's um he was snake bitten so to speak with those yes. two interceptions that called, got called back. But he, he did a good job of just doing his job and not he don't he don't do a lot of things spectacular, but he's where he needs to be for the most part, especially in in run, in run coverage. And he just happened to you know find the ball two times Sunday and did not count. Yeah, there you go. I mean, Bynes has had some similar luck finding the football, I think. I, Bynes never has been a big interception guy before in his career. But Fort, uh, you know, came with a little bit more of a reputation to pass defender and, and more of an ability to cover a back by the sideline. So if you have a guy le- leaking out of the backfield one day, he's more likely to be in the right place on that guy than I think we've seen Owasso be or maybe even Bynes be in the in the time since he's been here. Mm-hmm. All right. So anyway, the other dime package they played is this race car, and they had they had no inside linebackers in on that. One defensive lineman, 
and four outside linebackers, which are really the heart and soul. And that they used extensively in this game. And, you know, we talked about all the pressure, uh, sorry, all the scheme and the numbers they ran. But a lot of that was out of this race car package where they had 14 snaps. And, you know, one of the things that I think, uh, you know, a number might be surprising to people is that the Ravens only had three stunts in this game. And if you watch how the pass rushers were coming at the quarterback, there was a lot of looping going on. Mm-hmm. But the way I'm trying scored, to find another way to get pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and, and I love it because, you know, you cross faces and you create ambiguity of assignment that is good for the pass rush in general. And, you know, it's 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 not unlike finding a cutback lane for a running back. You want to have give an opportunity for somebody to find that lane appropriate for a free run of the quarterback. Mm-hmm. So I agree. what what uh, what I just one point I want to make is that with three stunts, the reason is because a lot of those were coming from Bowser and Judon, who were more than a yard and a half off the line of scrimmage. And when that occurs, I call them a blitzer, but not a, not also a stunner, because I don't want to double count those events. So it's just a it's just a, a definitional thing. There were probably five other plays, maybe more, where those guys were looping in order to confuse in a way that would be similar to stunts, but just the way I define it, it it's, it's not the way I do it. So anyway, what a, for people who are out there watching film and say, I saw a lot more stunts than that. You're right. In the sense that you saw more looping. Mm-hmm. All right. I thought, by the way, Brandon Williams and Michael Pierce each shared the, that zero tech role in the race car this week. They've both been pretty effective at getting good pocket push when they've got that one-on-one on just the center, which is a very <laughs> advantageous match matchup for you. It's a mism- mismatch versus most centers in the league. All right. Uh, so how about we talk about some individual players? What do you want to do that? Go ahead. You 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 pick one first, and I'll I'll pick second. Um, the the two guys that I really want to talk about, and it's probably going to kind of bleed into our last topic. So I'll just I'll give my two and then you can I'll let you go from there and I'll jump in is um Hump and Peters. And the reason the reason I picked those two guys is because I'm a huge, huge, huge um, stickler for wide receiver play. And Cleveland having Odell Beckham and 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 Landry is a problem for anybody, despite their record, despite how bad Baker Mayfield is. Odell Beckham, in my point of view, is one of the top four or five receivers in the league. Despite his off-the-field issues, his his pouting, Odell Beckham, and I talked about it in the video just did, can be just as good as Michael Thomas. He just mm-hmm. had been blessed with Drew Brees. Yeah. Eli and Baker. Odell Beckham can do everything Michael Thomas can do, plus beat you over the top. Michael Thomas can't beat you over the top. But he just hasn't he has not been blessed with a quarterback. So right. for Peters and, and and Hunt to do the job they did on, on those two guys again, I dealt, you know, despite the pass rush, despite stopping the run, those two guys are extremely dangerous together. And I dealt, so my individual performance goes out to them. I don't know the individual stats, but the fact that those guys that j- didn't just go off because you know we we struggle getting pass rush, they that that's my two best players for the week right there okay well so beckham four out of six targets for 44 yards and landry seven out of eight for 74 so he was very effective uh the what the play i remember from beckham and i i hope this is is really beckham was humphrey's interception beckham was on the right sideline 
covered with on the inside by Peters, who was chasing him down the side. I'm I'm correct on that, right? Maybe take a look at the play while I'm kind of describing what I'm seeing, and you can tell me if I'm wrong and it's Landry. But as as Beckham went down that right sideline, Peters covered him not step for step, but trailing, and also made it very difficult for Beckham to get across his body back towards the football where he might have been able to make a play. In fact, some people would say he's probably too lackadaisical or failed to track the ball and try and play like a defender on that play. But anyway, Humphrey, of course, did track the ball in the age, came off his own receiver to track that ball. By the way, that's something the Ravens have been doing extremely well lately. I know it's a, it's a technique of Peters, but coming off their receiver to make plays on the football – and, right. and But but I, I like both of their plays on that because I like Humphrey coming off the ball and I love Peters, the fact that he was positioned well to not allow Beckham back to the inside to affect that catch. That, the crazy thing is, is a lot of interceptions don't come when you're guarding your man. Mm-hmm. You just happen to, to see like a switch or you're you're peeking, you know, in the backfield. A lot of interceptions happen like that. And they just... Um, on that play in particular, Humphreys was guarding uh, somebody. He was guarding Landry. Like you said, he was guarding Landry. And I think Baker got hit or got pressured, and it was basically a punt. So that's, that's what that was. Humphreys was guarding um, Landry. And both of them, they were, I guess they were running three verticals. They were running verticals out of a trip set. And so they were trying to get uh, Odell Beckham deep, and he had to step on him, but I, it still would have been contested. It still mm-hmm. would have been contested. And so, but the fact that he got hit or pressured or whatever happened, basically threw a punt to to um, Humphreys. Hey, get, getting back to what you said about coming off your man on this, I, Peters has shown obviously ability to do this a lot. I think his interception in the Rams game, if I recall correctly, was him coming off his own man to kind of play an underneath coverage on the right sideline to get that pick late. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But he has he he almost plays his man like a safety anyway, and just he gives up coverage just by decision at any time to, to, to run to the football when he sees it. It's a, it's a byproduct of being looking into the backfield, byproduct of zone coverage a lot. I keep hearing he doesn't like to play zone coverage. I don't know why not. He's great at it. Right. He's absolutely, he's absolutely great. He can play zone. He can play man. He can do whatever. Maybe man he has more of an opportunity to bait the quarterback, but zone he has a better opportunity to read the quarterback. So mm-hmm. he, he done, he, then the pick six is he's done a great job of making it look like he's leaving his responsibility. And then coming back to it as the quarterback is in his motion to throw the ball, he 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 decides to go back to where he should be, at a point where the quarterback can't stop throwing mm-hmm. the ball. That makes sense. Yes. So it, it baits him, and then when he decides to, hey, I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna throw to this underneath guy or throw to this this corner, it's too late to take the ball back because Peter's gonna go get it. Mm-hmm. But he does give up give up plays trying to do that too now. <laughs> so he, he, you get good and bad from Peters. The good thing about Peters is. If he scores on defense or if he creates a turnover, any bad plays that not any most bad plays that he he gives up probably will be erased. Because if you can get a defensive score, your chances of winning go up. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. I, I there was an article earlier this year, but the the pick six he had, I think it was the one against Seattle was the one. Yes, it was the one that was the one I was. No, it might have been Cincinnati, but it's hard to hard to judge the pick six separately with Peters. But they were already in the red zone. Mm-hmm. So if he takes a gamble and he gets beaten on a double move. Well, that's too bad, but he gives up a touchdown when they probably already could expect to get four points. And then if he if he gets it right, he takes it the other way for seven. Right. You know, so seven, so, that's what, 11 points, Wayne? Yeah, so so it's it's 11 versus four is the thing. How I figured it is, he really only had to be right about 20% of the time 
based on some additional assumptions I was making for mm-hmm. him to him to uh, be that. And, and, you know, he had additional indicators in that game. He was covering Erickson in that game. He undercut a route with a seven-man pass rush. So even if he, Erickson beats him on the double move, the pass rush better get home mm-hmm. in time for that double move not to not to take effect. Right. It was a play like that Sunday where we, we got a pressure and um, Baker wanted to throw like an out route. I don't know if it was to Peters or at Peters, but he wanted to throw an out route. It was covered. The pressure didn't quite get there, and uh, it was Jimmy Smith. The pressure didn't quite get there. Jimmy ended up getting a pass interference on a, a, a holding maybe on Beckham. Okay. It was a quick out. Jimmy undercut it, but the, since the pass rush didn't get there, Beckham turned up, and Baker still had a chance to throw the ball on basically like an out and up. Okay. And so got a pass interference on it. It was right along the left sideline. Beckham actually got a hand on the football at the end of it, but yes. he just couldn't quite haul it in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was a big play. That's 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 a very good penalty to take if you're Jimmy Smith. Once you've committed and and, and you've lost, mm-hmm. once you've lost the gamble, holding on that play is a great move. Yep, I agree. Little All play, right. the next play. I'm gonna pick my next guy. I I, I took take L J Fort because I thought he had a terrific game here. Uh, just a lot of things done well. I'm gonna go back to my notes and make sure I can state this one for one. And oh darn it, did I lose my spot here? Uh, While you're looking, I did find sure. a play, and that was a butt sniffer. Butt sniffer. You look back uh, at the 2017 game. Mm-hmm. That 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 was because they both of them started in the pony that you spoke of. Uh, one guy went out to the right for something, and then Bernard went off to the sniffer position between the center and the guard. And you could also be. I put my sniffer between the guard and tackle, but basically, in a sense, the same same thing. Is it is it a play that you set up? to try and give yourself an extra second of time when the Ravens, when, when, when the opponent is showing extra men at the line of scrimmage. Because they had simulated pressure on that play. They showed a six-man double-A gap blitz on that play, which is one of my frustrations about it, by the way. You're, you're guarding 12 yards of stick. If you mm-hmm. want to come cover zero, come cover zero. But don't drop out of the A gap and expect your middle linebacker to try and drag the drag Tyler Boyd's route up the seam right. to, to, to you know, create some more difficult window. It's just not going to happen. You're already at a mismatch uh, athletically. Yeah. And now you put them through two or three steps behind, you know, make, making the throw easier. Yeah. It, it, it really made the throw uncontested in and that the case. Whole, was, the whole point of using a linebacker in the middle of the field, like in a cover uh, Tampa 2 type situation, is to make the quarterback put air on the ball so the safety can go cover. It's not for the, the linebacker to cover that guy. It's, the linebacker is there to make, the, make the quarterback put some air on it, put some loft on it, and those safeties come attack it. That's a, that's a great point. That's a great point. All right, let me get back to LJ Fort because now I have finally have my notes in front of me and okay. I'm prepared. So Fort did a bunch of things right in this game, but the first thing he did, there was a 13-yard run by Chubb early that got wiped out because J.C. Treader held Fort. He wouldn't have held him if if Fort hadn't managed to get to the edge of that run defense. Treader pulled, obviously, if he's on the outside. That's usually the place where the holding penalty is going to occur. And Fort was there on the right edge to to try and handle him and and hold that edge, and uh, sure enough, Treader held him and that uh, negated a big run. Uh, he had the fourth and two interception was a little bit ill advised because he he wasn't going to probably get back to the line of scrimmage as they as they mentioned, but uh, uh, beautiful one handed interception showed some real ball skills on that play to yep. to haul it in, and unfortunately Peters had the defensive hold on Beckham that negated that one. And uh, you know, it was another fourth and two where they where they advanced uh, to a new set of downs. Uh, the play where he undercut Chubb 
was something we'd seen a couple times from Bynes right in the middle of the field in traffic. Bynes is, you know, he got one PD on such a play. He got another where he intercepted a ball that was being thrown back across the field. But in this case, LJ Ford undercut the uh, a player. It was almost a grounded screen pass because it Ford was a couple yards in front of Hunt and uh, still picked the ball up at shoestring height and right. was unable to collect it, and the ball hit the ground and looked like it was inc- an incomplete pass there, but uh, just missed an interception again. That was a great play on the ball, great break on the ball, even though it, it grazed the ground, so to speak, and I'm being biased right here. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, that, was, that was a great break on the ball. Right. A- absolutely, absolutely true. He, uh, uh, he also pursued – I see the, the Ravens – Often will have not, it's not a spy, but they have a, a backer in the middle of the field playing a short middle zone, and that guy, his one of his responsibilities is to uh, rush the quarterback when the pocket breaks and make sure that quarterback doesn't get a big run outside, even if he gives up something in terms of coverage. Uh, Q4 11:32. If you look at that play, uh, he forced Mayfield uh, all the way to the sideline. Ward was chasing him, but he, Ward could have been beat to the outside. Uh, well, Fort actually kept him going towards the sideline. Eventually, Mayfield had to ground the ball on that right sideline because Clark had made a very good play up the, uh, up the field. Uh, and then the other play he made, and this was on the, on the four yard run middle Fort was one of the first guys to come through the middle to blow up that play and, uh, and force Chubb to then reverse his feet, which of course is death down in that part of the, the, you know, by the goal line. Right. And all of a sudden there's four or five or six Ravens on top of him, uh, tackling him for a loss of four. So great game for LJ Fort. Do you want to pick a player? You want to talk about LJ anymore? What do you got? Um, as I gave you my two, I really like what uh, I really like Pico. I really like his his energy, his his effort, his um, what's the word I'm looking for? His toughness. Mm-hmm. His toughness. He gets in there and 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 basically creates less of a drop off when they take Brandon Williams or, or Pierce out. And him mm-hmm. along with with Ward, they really do a good job of securing the middle. And they they come in and give us a little better pass rush too. Mm-hmm. It was a little better pass rush, and we don't have to worry about you know draws going through or whatnot, and you know being surprised on that because they can play the run. Yeah, I, I was I've been very happy with Pecco. I I had him for a pressure. It might have been no, I had him for one pressure in this game too. I, I thought I did. That was on the first and goal play. Um, anyway, uh, I, I thought he I thought he did a lot of good things as well. Two two tackles in this game. What's really weird is you know he's 35 years old or however old he is. He hasn't played all season. He's really bringing fresh legs to the field. No, he's playing limited snaps, but he's just one of the freshest players out there. Uh, defensive line has been managed very well this year in terms of snap count. Very, very well. And, you know, it's been one of the nice things about the Ravens over the years is they don't suffer a lot of injuries on the defensive line because they manage snaps so effectively. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, it's been nice to, to uh, you know, to get through this year without any really serious injuries. Obviously they were without Pierce, what a couple games in there, but uh, but they've looked very good, uh, frankly, with uh, with having most of their guys available for most of the games. And the, I noticed that last year they did it a lot too. The the snap counts for certain guys were not high last year, mm-hmm. and you know as we've gotten better up front, they've started to do that this year. So we always keep fresh guys in there. And the fact that we're on the field as much as we are offensively, all those guys gotta come in fresh. So by yeah. the time you get to you know if you can hold the opponent's drive to seven, eight plays, you should have, you know, you shouldn't have to play them more three or four plays in the D-line before a new set of guys are coming in. 
Yeah, there you go. I mean, that's that's a great point. We, the Ravens have been dominated snap count by such a wide margin since Lamar came on. Uh, really, this year, they've done a little bit more passing. They've moved the ball more more quickly down the field. No more efficiently. Obviously, they're tremendously efficient this year, but but uh, but they, they've they been moving the ball more quickly down the field, and, and opponents are actually getting a few more plays, but they still had a, a, a very significant advantage in terms of plays for the year uh, over the opponents. All right, uh, let's talk about Tyus Bowser. How about him? Two pressures and a quarterback hit in this game. I like what he's bringing to the pass rush uh, much more. Obviously, you know, I don't think the Ravens would be comfortable going into next year with him being the only Sam linebacker, but I think he's a he's a very valuable Sam linebacker to have on your team. Yes, he he's bringing a lot um, with speed. Bringing a lot with not he's not the the strongest guy, but he does a good job of of having moves and counter moves and, and, and get to the quarterback, beating you with speed, and then when they tackle oversets, being able to dip and get inside. He's he's doing a, a lot better job than he was at the early part of the year before he got called out. Uh, yeah. pressure in the quarterback. I think I, I, cutting Tim, Tim Williams woke him, like, turned his switch on. I hope so. Yeah, he's, he, he certainly he got a lot of abuse on special teams for some things that happened, including when I believe they had a 10 men on the field they had to take a penalty for last year that ended up being Bowser not on the field that was a, you know, couldn't have helped his cause at all. Uh, and, yeah, he did get called out earlier this year by Harbaugh. And now what I like about it is he seems to be getting – a responsibility that's not a fixed responsibility. So the guy who usually gets that obviously has been Judon being able to do what he wants in terms of stunts, having pretty well free reign and the, and the, and the go code, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to multi go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he's also been, been lined up off the line of scrimmage when they've had four outside linebackers on the field. So they don't have to have them all up at the line of scrimmage and he can then choose a gap. And that's what, one of the things that really makes that package effectively is, is he can, he can line up, in a different spot. The other thing that makes it very effective is tremendous pass coverage flexibility to drop those two edge guys uh, out. And the, and Bowser is now getting some of that responsibility. In this game, he was able to line up off the line of scrimmage. That's a big increase in personal responsibility that I really like the fact that he's been given that. So it, it's a graduation of sorts for him in this defense. Yeah, he, he, he's athletic enough to, to play zone coverage. Uh, he has decent enough hips to to you know see the quarterback and flip and wall guys off. So them putting him out there and he, well not them putting him out there, him earning the the right to be out there is a big plus for us athletically. All right, all right. So I've got one guy I still really want to talk. Now maybe I've got two. Uh, we talked a little bit about Thomas, his up and down game. We might have talked about most of these things because he was in that bracket coverage on the 23-yard play and on the 33-yard play. So he was involved in both of those, and neither of them got made, obviously. Their two longest plays of the day happened in a three-play sequence in quarter four there. He did some other things that were outstanding, though. Uh, he obviously got the sack, that, that uh, the sack zero that got taken away, and then he also really set up that sack minus eight. We may have talked about all that in this game, but I'm, I'm, I was – it was an up and down game for Thomas, but I thought there was probably a little bit more positive than negative for him in this game. Just some of it kind of got washed out by either official score or penalty. Mm-hmm. Tom, he's he's gotten better as the season went on. He, you know, he's able to find his 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 comfort zone in his uh, complex defense because again, remember he was used to only playing cover three or one in Seattle. So now he's playing around the line uh, deep. Um, he's just all over the place. 
He's all over the place. And now, and he may have rushed the quarterback more this year than he's done in his career. Oh, I'm certain of that. Yeah, he was a, he was a pure single high guy. You're right with uh, uh, with Seattle. You're saying more times this year in his entire <laughs> career. Seattle exactly. could well be yes. true. Yes. Yeah, could well be true. I, I might be able to get that for you if I just look at this for a second here. But uh, but as we're going through this, uh, I, the only concern I have, and this is what I want to get your opinion on, the heat maps when he came to, to Baltimore really show that no opposing quarterback, particularly in the NFC, would throw at him. And, mm-hmm. and you know, all of the, the difference in where those passes are going are completely different when he was at free safety versus a, another player at free safety when he missed games last year. And so the question is this. In the, in the key point in the game where they had a chance to get back into it, they completed a 33 and a 23 yard pass, basically thrown directly into his area. One where he's on the back end of the bracket, all kinds of danger. The other where he's on the, you know, he's one side of a left right bracket, mm-hmm. you know, in that deep middle. Does that concern you at all that, you know, Baker Mayfield, who, you know, must know enough, or the Browns that at least know enough about who Earl Thomas is, certainly from, from historically? Mm-hmm. would be willing to throw at him twice like that. At that point in the game, they had to. And they, they happened to hit, you know, two passes on it. But at that point in the game, they had to, you know, it was – they were trying to get back in the game. They, they couldn't be cautious about it. It was a point where it's either, you know, we – we this is what's open. Or this is what I think is open. This is my guy. Earl either going to make the play or he not. And at some point in the game, you, you have to do that. You can't avoid a guy – the entire game and still expect to win, especially when you, like you said, have a chance to maybe get back in the game. You just got to play football. And he just happened, you know, not to get to those balls. And, you know, who knows, he may get to those balls the next two times. It's just a matter of positioning, you know, when he recognizes what's going on. It, But him being concerned, nope, not at all. If all that right. was Tony Jefferson, I'd be concerned. Fair enough. Now, I got your answer for you, I think, on the pass rush. You're almost correct. 58 times he's rushed the passer this year. By the way, PFF, this is slightly outside of my subscription agreement, so I want to make sure we put in a plug for PFF here. Please get your elite subscription to PFF. It's an excellent package and well worth the money, but uh, 58 times this year and 70 times in all previous years combined. Wow. So that's a lot. And they had to, he didn't have a sack. We knew that when he came here. He's got a sack and a half here to get started, so uh, they've been using him effectively, I think, that way and often. Yes, and I, when when he does play again, I think you're going to see a refreshed guy because he 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 advocated not to play uh, this game mm-hmm. immediately after the game was over with. <laughs> so you're gonna have a guy with fresh legs and really hungry to to prove himself in another place. Well, he basically never takes a snap off. They they do take him out occasionally in a goal line package, but uh, he's played pretty close to 100% of the snaps the entire season, so he, he, he definitely can use some time off. I got one guy left to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Chuck Clark. Just an unbelievably great game from my perspective. But do you want, do you want to say anything about him first? Um, honestly, he don't have a lot of stat numbers, but he could possibly be the defensive MVP, in my opinion. For the season? Yes. Okay. That's high praise. Certainly, since he's taken the green dot, I think mm-hmm. you can make the argument he's been the Ravens' best defensive player. I'd probably still say it's Marcus Peters, but Clark has been remarkable in terms of what he's been able to do, flexibility, moving all over the field. His impact on the other defenders, dare I say, as a green dot player, he's had the same kind of organizational influence that a Ray Lewis has yeah. had in the past in terms of getting people in the right spots. 
uh, communicating that call properly. Mm-hmm. We look back at that New England game, their ability to get those blitz calls communicated as quickly as they did. I'm sure it was a point of coaching emphasis during the week. There was probably hand signals that were also being done, so it wasn't all necessarily through Clark. But Clark was was there with the green dot near the line of scrimmage, and the New England no huddle was not effective during that game. So I was happy, very happy to see that. And that's going to be key down the stretch. Yeah, sure will in the playoffs here. We got Chuck Clark in this game. We had, you know, one of the, the one of the great plays, obviously two oh nine to go in that first half. They got the eight yard stop on third and one that forced the punt. Then the Ravens got a two play touchdown. But then Cleveland got the ball back. Mm-hmm. And on after they got the ball back, Chuck Clark had a near interception on an overthrow. No pass defense, but he got a near interception. Then he got two more consecutive passes defense. The first one was a lane pass defense where he wasn't anywhere close to the receiver, but he got his hand up, read the quarterback, and, and knocked the ball, knocked the ball down. The second mm-hmm. one, he's rushing the passer and he <laughs> leaped and, and got a pass defense. He had another one of those later in the game for four total passes defensed. In this game, but that for that single drive, he got the Browns off the field in 16 seconds, and it was mostly him doing it. Yeah, I think that's that first pass um, pass defense was. I honestly thought it was a mistake. I think he ran into the receiver, and uh, Baker didn't expect him to be there. He expected him to be chasing that that third receiver down the middle of the field, and he didn't. And when he didn't, he basically almost threw the ball right to him. Almost <laughs> threw the ball right to him. I don't even think Chuck even saw the ball until the last minute. But the, the definitely the near interception and the third one that was that was him playing ball. But that's that's my two cents on that first one. I, I thought it was a mistake that um, he didn't run with one of those receivers going because had Baker th- chose to throw to that third guy, I think it would have been a pretty significant game because Chuck didn't chase him. Okay, so they were, the fact they could have been in a zone defense, but would his movements have made any sense with with zone? Yeah, he, he ran into he ran into whoever the receiver was. Okay, and then I think you know they were kind of just shook by it because Baker was trying to get it out quick because we were coming. And um, I think it was an accident, honestly. <laughs> but I could be wrong, but to me it looked like an accident. And that's on that, that first. So that would be the second down after we scored our first touchdown. Second down, that's the one, yep. Mm-hmm. I'll take another look at that play. Now um, you've got my interest peaked in that. I'll uh, I'll go back. So, uh, why don't we get to the MVPs? Go 3-2-1 on these. We may have already announced all these guys, but uh, you can start with number three if you want. Um, well, I have a two and a one. And I talked about okay. them earlier. Uh, Hump and Peters. And I'm going to go Hump, number two. Peters, my number one. Okay, good choices. Can't argue with that. I'm going to go with Bowser, number three. I thought he gave the, the team a little bit more pass rush pressure. Kind of glad we have some differences here anyway. That's always always a, add some spice to it. Fort, I gave a list of his great plays. And I think some of his, some of his contributions kind of go unnoticed, particularly that drawn holding call. I'm a big fan of drawn holding calls. Mm-hmm. And then Cl- Clark, easily my number one. I thought he just had one of the really great games. One of the plays I didn't mention about Clark, he didn't get a pass defense for it, but on the play where Fort chased Mayfield to the right sideline and forced him to ground the ball, it was because Chuck Clark had done two things. One, he directed the receiver out of bounds. I think it was Beckham down that right sideline. And he kind of gave him what I assume is an illegal shove out of bounds, or at least he kind of positioned his body in a way that Beckham didn't have any way other than to go out of bounds. Beckham was asking for the flag. Yeah. And the other the other thing then, he stood there on the right sideline. Of course, all the sideline rules take effect, nearest receiver, shortest, blah, 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 all that has to go to that right sideline when Mayfield's running there. But Clark forced that grounding of the ball by being the nearest man on defense, despite the fact he's about 15, 20 yards upfield. So 
Very impressive positioning by Clark there. Right place, right time, right move to get the offensive player out of bounds since he got away with it. And, uh, and just a fine game overall for Chuck. And since you said you're a big fan of uh, drawing holding calls, that's mm-hmm. another plus to Peters. Because Peters got a holding call on um, that buck sweep that they tried. They tried. They only got two. Uh, the first buck sweep. The big play. They, it was the big play they got against us the first week, which I did a, a video on it. But they tried it three. They tried that same play three times this week, and the first time Peters was the one got the holding call. Peters came to the line of scrimmage, which is the first time I've ever seen him that close to the line of scrimmage, not guarding a guy. And he like he took the C gap. Like I've never seen Peters in a Ravens uniform be physical. He went in there, tried to rush the gap. He saw the the the, the toss, tried to get out, and the tight end grabbed him. So that is was this, the holding call on that. Is that the second play of the game? Uh, yes. Okay, because yeah. that's the one I have going to Fort. I'm currently the wrong guy. I, well, I thought it was Peters. I'm sorry. Take, I could be take, wrong. I thought it was well, Peters. Let's take another look at it. Let's take another look at it right now, and uh, and we'll ask Josh to fire up the mailbag. Josh, are you, you still here? Oh, I'm here. <laughs> and, uh, we've got a little bit of a mailbag here. Uh, first one up, again, remember, getting your questions as we're finishing up the regular season. You can still get in plenty of questions using the hashtag film study mailbag as well as commenting over on the Purple Flock message board, and you'll see a little category pinned at the top called Film Study Mailbag. Uh, first question up is, got a couple easy ones for you guys to get started. Minion Hunter wants to know how free agency works during the playoffs because he still hasn't given up hope that somehow Suggs gets cut again and ends <laughs> up in Baltimore. Uh, I, I assume the waiver process works the same way it does, but uh, but I'm not uh, I'm not certain of that. You can still sign players even after the playoffs have started, so there has to be some sort of process. But I'm not the expert. If we had Brian McFarland on the show, we'd get him. Otherwise, I'd, I'd honestly suggest that Minya Hunter just ask at Raven Salary Cap uh, on Twitter. There's also no reason for Suggs to be cut once your team loses and you're out of the playoffs. Right. There's no incentive to cut anyone. Uh, They're all cut, Dan. All right, then, uh, let's see. King Khalid is wondering, what do you think the future plans are now with TJ, being that Chuck Clark has played so well? You want to start? Yeah, I will. (laughs) With Clark getting the green dot, uh, it's in the air for Jefferson. It's it's, If, you know, when we have so many younger guys, Jefferson is one of the older ones, and he – in my opinion, he wasn't playing very well before he got hurt. You know, and I don't wish ill will on him, but we got better when he got hurt. And you know, I hate to say that because it sounds like I'm being mean, but I, 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 he may be cut. In my opinion, if he, you know, or backup, or backup, if he can come in and do other things around the line of scrimmage, which he he used to be known for to be a thumper, um, he would have to change his role. Yeah, it's an interesting idea whether or not he could really change his role. But I think a lot of this is going to come down to dollars. And mm-hmm. it's $7 million to, to cut Jefferson next year in savings. And they have a lot of needs. I know they've got a lot of cap, but they've got a lot of needs. And $7 million is $7 million at any year in the future in the cap. Don't ever let anybody tell you we got it to spend. Well, no, you don't have it to spend because you could use it next year, too. Mm-hmm. And so it's $7 million in this cap. you got to always be careful about that. I talked to McFarland about this. He seems to think Jefferson would raise his hands to be cut and go out and seek another contract a year early. I can agree might, with that. Yeah. 
that it might be a might be a good deal for him. But in any case, it'd be another signing bonus for him. He could he could get a, I think another pretty good deal. Uh, you know, going the Ravens would lose any chance to get a compensatory draft pick for him. But I think given the dollars, I think they probably and and the fact that I think they're committed now to Clark as the signal caller. I don't think they. I don't think they resign Jefferson. I don't think they, sorry, retain Jefferson. I agree with you. All right. And then one final question. Looking ahead, uh, now that we're all celebrating and acting as week 17 doesn't matter with something we just got to get past, is there anything besides health that you, you are concerned about getting through week 17? Do you want this to keep the Steelers out of the playoffs? Do you even care? I'm concerned about rust. When, you know, with it being 20, 20, 20 or 21 days, depending on which way, way we play, when Lamar Jackson takes the field again. I'm concerned about Russ. That's a good concern. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go with a different concern. I'm going to go with I want to see something from the other players we've seen nothing from under live fire. So I'm going to go with a glasses half full concern that I want to see some guys get some activity. And there might be a guy you would activate during the playoffs at some point. Maybe it's. Maybe it's Ben Powers as the seventh lineman. You know, actually, he would be starting, but maybe he could be a backup. Or maybe it's it's uh, Iman Marshall because you like what he can do in special teams and how he could also help you as a cornerback. Because I kind of think the way the Ravens have been playing, and they had some injuries that, that actually got a little scary in this last game, they've been playing short at corner. And I'd really like them to, to have another active. Yep. All right. Uh, did you have any luck finding that clip you were I looking did. for? I, I actually found both of them. The play with the second second down play after we scored a touchdown, um, Clark ran into a guy. I don't remember which receiver it was, but he ran into him, and then the ball was kind of thrown in that same area. I think he was maybe going to blitz, and, and he just ran into the guy. And they kind of bounced off each other, and the ball was thrown. And also the other one was um, – that was Marcus Peters that got held. Are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm checking that again. <laughs> Marcus Peters, I'm going to look at it right now and, and talk you through it. Peters is covering the outside corner of the receiver. He's number 89. He, he you what, before you do this, in. number 89 is, is kind of wide, widen out. Peters is guarding him. So he goes down to be the second tight end. Peters walks down and walks right beside Judon. When the ball is snapped, Peters blitzes that C, D gapish. Um, he The tight end tries to pin him. Peter's trying to get away. Peter's get hell. All right. All right. Very good. We'll have to change the notes in the story. I'm, I'm going to review that play. I couldn't actually do it because I thought it would interfere with the sound. But anyway, appreciate the explanation. And uh, and we'll certainly review that. As a, the only as reason always, I know that because I, before you called me, I just finished a video strictly for Marcus Peters. Okay. Well, Coach, why don't you get that plug in now where people can see that video and check out your work? Because now that you've called Ken out, you might not get the invite back. <laughs> well, it's, it's Sip the Tally Films on, on YouTube, and um, it's S-I-P, the number two, T-A-L-L-Y. And uh, on Twitter, it's Coach Evans 9. And uh, like I just said, I just finished a video on Marcus Peters. It'll be out at 9 tomorrow. I debuted one um, tonight. Before he called, uh, stopping that buck sweep that they hurt us with in week four. You know, I showed the two plays where they, they had 17 and 88 yards against us. Then I showed the three times they ran it um, yesterday. All right. And then you're coming up to the cold this weekend, right? I am. I'm making my first trip to M&T um, Sunday. The game got pushed back to 425. So I know it's going to be cold earth toward the end of the game. But I'm staying no matter what the score is. 
I won't be the one of the guys to leave early. This is my first time in <laughs> MT, so I'm experiencing it all. No you're, matter what you're a Florida well, guy. Except for Lamar Jackson, you won't be experiencing that. I know, right? Yeah. I'd rather see him in February, though. I do I do have a room booked for Miami. That's a smart man. All That's right. the way to go. Good, then I've got a place to stay. Ken, <laughs> <laughs> what's going on over at filmstudybaltimore.com? Uh, the usual stuff. A couple podcasts this week. You're listening to the first of two. We'll have one on the uh, on the offensive uh, play tomorrow. And uh, we've got uh, the defensive articles out there with uh, obviously an incorrect note that I will be checking to see whether or not LJ Fort was actually the one who drew that holding call or, or Peters. But I suspect uh, uh, Coach is correct on this one. And uh, then I'll be making some adjustments to that article. So feel free to wait till tomorrow morning to read it. All right. And we snuck out a, a Monday morning uh, short talking about the Pro Bowl and the fact that the Ravens got 12 people there. Do they really deserve 12 people? And how does this team uh, kind of Pro Bowl players line up? Ken, what's the schedule this week look like around the holidays and getting these episodes out? Uh, we're, we're recording tomorrow night, so Christmas Eve. Uh, so that'll be the the offense. So look for your offense to be available uh, on Christmas Day and probably the offensive line article on no later than Thursday. All right. So it's another one of those. Stick your headphone in one ear when you're at the Christmas table with all your family. There you go. So, all right, guys. Some wireless beats. Exactly. All right. Well, we will talk soon. Oh, now that before we go, looking yeah. at that 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 play, I can see where you you may be right. I think I'm right, but you may be right too because I didn't oh, see I how late. Oh, I it on the broadcast. No, no, I'm saying I didn't. I didn't see it. I had to keep looking at because I'm like, right, let me start recording again. <laughs> you can cut it in. It's still recording. Birdland Sports for fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at BirdlandSports.com. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. 
They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.